Welcome back to the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. This is your host, Dr. TK. So in today's podcast episode, we will be meeting James Harrison. He is a licensed clinical social worker based in Oakland, California, and he also has a background as a music educator and was trained across broad multicultural social service experiences. With over 20 years of experience, James is dedicated to supporting individuals and families optimize their mental wellness practices. He values each person's lived experiences and he utilizes talk therapy to address areas of mental discomfort that can result from complex relationships and work stress, trauma, family conflict, learned helplessness, isolation, loss, and so much more. I cannot wait till you tune in to this episode. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. So welcome everybody back to the Branding for Abundance podcast where therapists deserve abundance. I have another epic guest. I am on a roll. I have been interviewing some awesome mental health therapists across the country. And so I want to welcome James to our podcast. Say hello, James. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into it. You heard a little bit about James on the intro right before we started this episode, but I would like to um, give you some time to get to know him yourself. And so, James, can you let our viewers and listeners know uh, what type of therapist you are? Because we have so many acronyms, um, where <laughs> you're located and then who you work with in your uh, mental health business. Sure thing. So my name is James Harrison. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I live here in Oakland, California, and I actually am licensed in California and in Arizona. So I provide services mostly right now via teletherapy um, for folks. And that's usually for black and brown and everybody else um, who are wanting to manage their depression, anxiety, and also kind of manage some of their, their life transitions. And of course, talking about trauma and the ways that they're able to cope in different ways and developing compassionate communication towards themselves. So that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Nice. And I totally forgot you were licensed in two states. And so mm-hmm. um, for the viewers and listeners, we typically have like two different groups of people who listen. We have people who are in the general public and are therapists who are interested in learning more about uh, mental health services. And part of the reason why I bring on clinicians and then clinicians who have been in my programs is to destigmatize mental health and to educate different viewers and listeners on the different types of therapists there are because it's not a one size fit all. And so can you speak to what it was like? I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but I totally forgot you were in license in Arizona. So can you tell <laughs> um, the therapist what it was like to think about even getting licensed in two states? Like, why was that important to you? Yeah. So a little bit about my background would allow for me to tell that story. Yeah. So okay. I have some family members who are also in the, the healing arts is what they call it, right? So um, there's a group home that my, my family has been running in Arizona, and I wanted to be able to support them um, in my practice and support them just doing consultations and whatnot because they were working with some some um, individuals and clients 
who has some developmental delays, but also we're also um, navigating the, the foster care system. And my background has been working with youth in the foster care system, working with families. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to provide services ethically um, in that state, but also to be able to expand my practice to be able to support, support folks in Arizona as well. Mm-hmm. That is so, so good because I'm going to start pulling things out when you say a lot, just so you know. <laughs> so one of the things that you spoke to indirectly, but I'm going to repeat this specifically for therapists, is you, you saw an opportunity that you were already connected with through mm-hmm. like family, relationship, and community. And then you saw that there was a need and then you went and developed something to cater to the need. And I just wanted to highlight that because we interact with so many different people, agencies, nonprofits, hospitals, friends, and family, and they're connected to agencies that need our help or that even need our ideas. Like you don't have to be the one conducting the services, but it doesn't mean that you can't lay the foundation for them to get their needs met based off your expertise, which is pretty big, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that you shared that. So since you actually talked about your background, uh, how (laughs) did you enter into the psychology or counseling field? Like, take us all the way back. (laughs) Take us all the way back. So my undergraduate degree is in music education. Mm -hmm. And I was actually teaching here in California and um, was connected with a psychologist and a psychiatrist um, who were based here in the Bay Area. And we had done some traveling together, you know, uh, learning music and learning dance actually in Cuba. And when I was here in Oakland, they encouraged me to seek out um, just a career in mental health, knowing that I wasn't doing, uh, I wasn't making a whole lot of money (laughs) in music at the time. I was having a great time doing it, but it was something that um, they said that could apply those same skills into the community uh, and working with families and working with very young children. So I decided to apply to graduate school and to see what that was going to be like. Even before that, though, I applied to an internship at UCSF. And spent about a year with them just trying to understand what it looks like for a person to kind of volunteer inside of the mental health system. So I ended up transcribing a bunch of psychiatry notes and getting some supervision um, and understanding what that was like for people who were managing um, the symptoms of HIV, AIDS, and of course, all the things that go along with that. So um, it was through the the coaching of that psychiatrist and psychologist um, and so some other Persons in the community that really helped me to, to focus on mental health. And I ended up working with the deaf and hard of hearing community in Washington, D.C., Maryland, um, and Virginia um, to start because that's where I did my graduate school study was, was in D.C. And um, yeah, I came back out to California, started working with folks in the mental in the, the foster care system, mm-hmm. um, doing family reunification work, which is basically family therapy and offering individual therapy um, mm-hmm. for young people. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of went <laughs> up the ranks and did, so I started doing management, did work in medication management clinics. And you didn't do it at all. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did a few things. Yeah, but, and now I'm just, I'm doing my own private practice and, and doing other things as well. So yeah. that's kind of the, the, up until now. What, I mean, I, I love how you explained that because on the previous podcast interview that I had another therapist on, we were talking about the importance of students because we got students that watch and listen. And Mm. some professors stress this, mine did, but I'm finding out more and more as I talk to more therapists that some of them were not privy to a licensed therapist that was their professor to encourage them to get a breadth of experience. And then some of our professors Mm. did. And what I'm hearing you say is that you followed your passion in one area. Someone exposed you to the idea of 
this other whole arena, you dove all the way deep into <laughs> wanting to understand it, which is a good thing. Because some people mm-hmm. are introduced to something and then they just jump and do it and then they don't like it. Like mm-hmm. I, I was in grad school with people who wanted to be, who wanted to own a bookstore. And I'm like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> you know, who, whose dream are you really living here? You know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I'm happy that you explored so many different arenas that it sounds like leaded you into what you do now. So can you share with everyone what does your practice, because it's your practice, not someone else's practice too. So what does your practice look like now in terms of who you serve? So my practice right now is primarily composed of um, adults between the ages of, I would say, 25 and, and like late, 40s, early 50s. Mm-hmm. And I did that intentionally because I, I wanted to be able to support people. I mean, of course, in, in tech, because there's a, a hotspot here and in the Bay Area, but also as people that I connect to um, quite easily. I mean, I have a, a decent amount of experience in working with youth, but I, I also noticed that a lot of the, the people that I was um, serving were parents or our parents, and they want to be able to connect with their children. So being able to have conversations with them about just different communication styles or different strategies that they can use, but also talking to um, their inner selves and their inner child. So there's all this this work that is is kind of um, intertwined and in being able to understand oneself. I think the, the kind of common language is knowledge of self, but also having these you know, compassionate conversations, these courageous conversations, so we can live in more empowered ways. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is going to be uh, it's going to be a tailored journey for the individual. So I do an assessment for them, and I do all the kind of required things around treatment planning and whatnot, but mm-hmm. making sure that it's very, very specific to what they want to be able to see themselves grow into. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, even for people that are in their, you know, mid to um, I guess early 20s, they're still trying to figure out how they want to be able to, to navigate and shape their world or shape them shape themselves. So, and it doesn't necessarily stop in those, in that age range. I think mm-hmm. it happens for throughout the lifespan. Mm-hmm. So, um, I found that I enjoy working with, with that group um, overall. Yeah. Yeah. And developmentally, I mean, that's right dead on anyway, with what we learned in de- developmental psych, like in your twenties, you're exploring mm-hmm. the world and technically developmentally by 30, we should have it together in terms of where we want to go. But let's be real. Mm-hmm. That's when a lot of us switch up what we're doing <laughs> to realize mm-hmm. I haven't even been happy these last Right, And so that's when we really start exploring is when we're supposed to be settling down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned something really important. Um, and I actually want to go back to it when you were talking about the communication between the parent and the child. So I know that we've had conversations offline because um, you're part of the elite coaching mastermind community. And a lot of us have worked clearly in the inner city, especially clinicians of color. And mm-hmm. did you, this is what I experienced. And let me know if you experienced this and did this play a role in the, the products that you've created, which we'll get into for, to serve your clients. When I was mm-hmm. working at certain practicum sites in which the agency itself may have been ran by non-clinicians of color, but then the people mm-hmm. that we served were all, I was up in the Bay, so all black and brown. Um, we yeah. found that when we would want to do play therapy with these kids and then they would go to the sandbox tray or um, the feelings chart, they would say, this doesn't identify with me. Or the kids would say, well, I guess I'm going to be like black kids. They would say, I guess I'm going to be this white princess because I like her dress, but she don't look like me. <laughs> or I think yeah. the worst I saw Um I don't know what they're called, but they're the small figurines that make black people look like a clown. I can't even sugarcoat it because 
Let's just be real. They they, they were like mm-hmm. old school, old school, you know. Yeah. And those were the figurines that the children were supposed to identify with because those were the only black toys that they can find. And they were like, oh, these are ugly. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so did you experience working with kids and them not being able to see what they look like, you know, in play therapy and what that was like? Absolutely. So when I was one of the first internships that I had was in San Francisco. I said internships is like postmasters work. Mm-hmm. And I remember we we were kind of mandated to <laughs> use these sheets that have the emojis on them and for the children to circle the emoji that most represented their feeling when we met with them. And I was like, none of these represent anything that looks like anybody <laughs> except for what you would use in your phones so even when we would try to do i mean there was a few of us that were um pursuing something with play therapy or just in movement or dance therapy art therapy but there weren't any tools provided by the agency that reflected us if we wanted to find something we had to go out and buy it ourselves and that was to me sometimes it would reimburse us for those kinds of things but most often not that specific kind of tool so yeah i had a very similar experience of not having any tools available and that's actually why like i got frustrated and created my own stuff Right. Yeah. I remember the practicum site that I'm referring to, like it wasn't until, and I'm just putting a tip out there, you know, for our students and our clinicians that if you're at a site and what you're doing and the tools that you have, if they don't really resonate with your clients so that it can trigger them to become vulnerable and to open up and talk about their emotions, you actually need to say something. And it wasn't until a group of eight of us, because <laughs> out of 16 interns, eight of us were of color we actually said, yeah, this ain't working, you know? And so because we made an uproar about it, like every week, they they had no choice um, but to go get a play therapy book and give us a budget. And they said, now go pick the toys that are most clinically appropriate because we have to talk about why those black clown toys were not appropriate, you know? And Mm -hmm. that was a a culturally competent situation (laughs) that we had to address with our older non-black supervisors so um so tell us like we we've mentioned i've been hinting at these uh products that you have and i'm hoping that you have one that you can show our viewers can you talk about how your product came about and give the viewers and the listeners a little bit of information about what they can do yeah so This product came about because, I mean, I had been working with youth in the foster care system and families in the foster care system. And they're really, like we've been talking about just now, there are a lot of tools, uh, specifically flashcards or posters that look like us. A lot of the posters were mostly white focused compared to it being more of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I sat down with actually somebody else in my family who was an illustrator and we got together um, a couple of... um, holidays ago I think it was like during the Christmas break or something and I asked her like would she be interested in pursuing this project with me she was like absolutely (laughs) so um, we ended up uh, creating these set of 30 images with um, the vocabulary words to accompany the images and I also have another cousin who is fluent in Kiswahili so I wanted to continue on this path of expanding our sense of identity and connecting to just cultures that are outside of or just anything outside of but are also part of us so we can continue to, to grow and to develop and, and remain curious about who we are as individuals and, and our identity. So uh, here's an example of what one of the, the cards looks like. So this is, um, I'm, oh, this is our kind of um, main character. Her name is Coco. But, <laughs> Coco, um, I don't know Coco. <laughs> this, is, yeah. 
but with Coco um, on the, the front is her image and she has an expression which we're going to call curious. So this allows for um, our young people and adults too to be able to put names with the expressions that they see. Mm-hmm. And what you see at the top is um, the expression or the vocabulary word in Kiswahili is, is uh, pronounced waza. So the, the translations um, in Kiswahili are usually pretty easy to, to pronounce. There are some that are a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, for folks who are familiar with Spanish, um, it's easy for them to pronunciate or to um, pronounce because the vowel sounds are exactly the same as well as the consonants. So um, the deck also includes um, some prompt cards to be able to have conversations. So I'm not sure how well this is going to come up on the screen. but It's good. Um, Okay, so um, the prompts allow for people to have conversations about the emotions and the expressions that are present in each of the decks. Mm-hmm. So this can be done um, with individuals. It can be done, be done in groups. It can be done with couples. I mean, there's lots of different applications for, for this use, but we really want to be able to offer uh, an opportunity for young people especially to be able to identify and express themselves in spaces where they may not have had a voice to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's in a, in a classroom setting or if that's in a clinic or at a hospital or at home with their families, I found that there's a great number of people who have you know, been using these with their children and have been having been able to have much broader conversations than like, how are you doing today? And somebody saying, fine, I'm good, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> and being able to expand on that and be able to have some more, I say, courageous conversations about what's happening with them, you know, throughout the day, what's been happening with them throughout the week or at different periods throughout the year. So I try and accompany that with, you know, a poster that has That's all the I'm thinking about the therapist that is watching and remembering mm-hmm. walking in that classroom with those emojis. What if your kid, yeah, had the emojis, but also has something like this on a wall? Mm-hmm. Now, this is like, I think this is one of the things that I really wish that I had. And I made it this size specifically so that when I'm carrying around my um, my folder, then it fits really easily in one of the front slots. So that I have to you know carry this big thing around with me because I was doing community-based therapy. And for folks who are not familiar, I was traveling up to 90 miles from the location that the, the agency was um was physically located to go and see clients. So if I'm here in Oakland, I was going up to Sacramento or going to other places, which is fairly far. And I wasn't going to be carrying all this other stuff with me. So to have something like this would have been really great. Right. So clearly therapists who are watching and listening or even interns, like, you know, these are resources that you don't need once you're licensed. You can clearly utilize them pre-licensure, introduce them to your sites. You know, especially if you're working in sites that we referenced in terms of non-culturally competent tools. Um, but also parents, um, you spoke to how parents can use this. And I know that I bought like four boxes <laughs> like last year <laughs> because, you know, we have two children, but they're seven years apart. And then of course we have family mm-hmm. members, but it was interesting because I, I gave it to, um, my youngest son, which now he's three, but at the time now he has his hair cut off. He had like the braids going back. And I thought I had to send you a picture because I thought it was pretty fascinating <laughs> how quickly kids will identify just like on a cartoon, they identify with a character that Mm -hmm. resonates with them, even if it's just the outside, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was pretty interesting that his emotion didn't match the card because he didn't know clearly how to read. But I found it fascinating that he chose the card that looks like him, who also had the same hairstyle as him. And Mm -hmm. he was smiling behind the card because you couldn't see his face. Because I said, just put it in front of your face so I can take a little picture and send it to James, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we gave him, though, the whole deck. And we said, uh-huh. pick whichever card you want. That's all. That was our only instruction. And he kind of just mm-hmm. moved through them at two. And he picked the one that looked exactly like him. And I'm like, uh-huh. wow, this is like so 
cool, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm going to bridge this part of the conversation with um, also business because a lot of our clinicians who listen, whether they're in the program or not, is that their goal is to make a bigger impact in their community, similar to what you're doing with yours by extending products and services even beyond the therapy room. And so mm-hmm. can you talk about one, because I've been knowing you for a minute. <laughs> so mm-hmm. can you talk about how you and I first met and then why did you think it was important to get help in your business at the time that you did? Yeah. So I remember we met in Oakland. It was, I forget which mall it was. Oh yeah. In a little uh, room. It was, yeah. It was a, it was a room. I mean, it was, and it was a combined event. So I was um, really intrigued by being able to, and I had always wanted to have a private practice of my own, but there, there were none, there were no classes offered in graduate school mm-hmm. to talk about expanding practice. A lot of things were focused on case management, talking about how to work at a macro level, but it wasn't necessarily the day-to-day, like how do you set up a business and be business-minded and be able to, to attract the kind of clients that you wanted. So mm-hmm. when you offered the, uh, the Adult Therapist Academy, I was like, I think I need to, to jump in on this so I can learn what it means to uh, start my own practice and to be successful in that. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say that that for me was the the draw was being able to be a part of one a cohort, but basically led by someone who was also doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I'll have a lot more support and being able to pursue the goal that I had to be able to build my practice. Right, right. And so uh, we're in a season right now, and I think I, well, I know that people see the trend hopefully on the podcast where half of the year we focus on business growth, which is really private practice, like. Growth is still increasing your caseload. Growth is getting your ideal clients and charging your value um, and, and being happy, you know, with lifestyle. But a lot of therapists mix up or just people actually mix up the word growth and scale. And the mm. true definition of scale in the short version is working less while earning more. So what I mm. want you to do is introduce to therapists, what was your schedule like last year and then what is it now and how did you make that shift? <laughs> that's- um, what was my schedule like last year? So I was working my butt off <laughs> last year in lots of different ways. And it's a good thing. I think that as, I mean, there's, there's a healthy transition. I think that needs to happen when you're um, either working for somebody else or you're trying to grow your own practice where there's going to be a little bit of overlap. You might have to, to work a little bit harder. Or just work a little bit um, more, you know, more hours, some more hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and like during that time, I was probably working. I was definitely working more than forty hours a week, um, and trying to um, see my clients and do all the notes, but also trying to plan, which is just kind of part of the game. Um, so if you're not planning, then you're kind of planning to fail. Essentially, is what, kind of what I think about it. So um, the transition for me and doing the, I guess. The private practice and doing the the brand, which is family all right, is being able to just kind of schedule that that time out so that and I guess now I'm working to see clients. Before I was doing five days a week, now I'm doing three days a week, maybe two and a half days a week where I'm seeing clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other days I'm maybe working on the business, you know, doing shipping or whatever the thing is because I do my own stuff there. Mm-hmm. But there's there's definitely been a decrease in the number of hours <laughs> that I'm working and seeing clients, but also yeah. increasing the revenue because. I can charge a little bit more or I can just see the folks that I want to be able to see based on like the client um, right. niche or the avatar. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I want to highlight that you're making room to work on your business and work on streams of income because that's one of mm-hmm. the, I don't like to call it mistakes. I'm going to say learning experiences that some people recognize and make a change about it. And then some people go about their happy way, burning themselves out is that 
another difference between a business owner and just like somebody who calls himself a boss or has a side hustle is that you actually carve out time to work on your business, to figure out Mm -hmm. how can you get things off your plate so that you can just run your business and take a vacation. Take time off. Come down to LA and go to Magic Mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like these are things because you're speaking to things that a lot of the clinicians, clinicians who either come to my boot camps or webinars or join DTA, when they find out about this magical secret society, <laughs> elite coaching mastermind, and they start hearing more and more about, well, how did they go from working five to six days a week or working in somebody else's group practice to then having their ideal caseload? having strings of income and working three days a week, how they say, how is that possible? And they actually don't Mm -hmm. believe that it's possible. So Mm -hmm. did you have to have a, well, I'm sure you did. So can you like explore, uh, explain to them like maybe a mindset shift that you had to adopt to even make that okay? Cause you've been working five days a week, I'm sure for a long time. Or more. (laughs) Right. Seven. seven. Like, I, I, mean, I think I was working almost, you know, seven, usually seven days a week, depending on what you had to get notes in and stuff. It's just being able to, to, to schedule that time. But um, the mind shift for me was probably just making making my mind up that I wanted to have a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you know, put, I mean, you've encouraged and I've used before just having a vision board and being able to say, well, this is what I want my life to look like. So what do I need to do in order to get there? Mm-hmm. So then you carve up that time and say, well, instead of me you know, watching TV or going out and dancing, you know, what, going down the magic mountain, whatever the thing is, like instead of going to do that, let me spend time and do the planning that's going to allow for me to connect with folks, have conversations with people mm-hmm. that are going to allow for me to make this thing happen and to be able to, if that means hiring somebody, if that means, you know, if it's a few hours a week, Mm-hmm. And now I have, you know, I have an admin now that can kind of um, shift some of the things up on my plate for mm-hmm. like those kind of things. And if it's small, make people think that you have to make these big leaps and kind of hire somebody full time with a salary and benefits and all this kind of stuff. And really, if you contract folks for a couple of hours like that frees up some of your time to be able to do other things. So like those kinds of, you know, secret sauce strategies, I think were really um, it made a difference in being able to to create what I wanted to create for the lifestyle that I have. I mean, I was able to move into a new place, into a new office in this last year, which is something I never, I didn't think was going to happen for a minute, you know, along with some other things that have happened around travel and just being able to expand my network and just connecting with people mm-hmm. here in the U.S. and abroad to be able to to make, a, make an impact. So I think it's really just looking at time differently, as I would say, it's one of those things and also creating that, that vision uh, mm-hmm. for oneself. And, and maintain a, a, a relationship with that vision. And don't put it on the side and say, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen tomorrow. No, start today. Start just right. do a little bit today and then continue to build on that. Right. How important is circles of influence? Because I know that you're, I know that you, you have a lot of connections and then we also have our community. How important is it as you are scaling your business more and more every day? How important is it that you surround yourself around the right people? Mm. I have a lot of accountability partners, probably yeah. too many. Um, but I think that it does help to um, to connect with people who are also aligned with um, creating and growing and scaling their business. Or if it's, I, have, I say I have a lot of accountability partners, I have somebody that I work with for fitness and spiritually for, you know, of course, for my private, for the private practice and for the, the coaching, like all that I see as accountability partners, people that I'm checking in with and people that are also wanting to grow and to see um, their impact, you know, expand. So I think that, I mean, it's really important to have people that are of like mindset or of a higher mindset um, to be able to I say a higher mindset, people who are have more experience right. or have done it before, or at least 
um, have the tools to be able to get you there. Um, I think that hanging out with people who are you want to build is one thing. Hanging out with folks that you are on their same level, but also hang out with folks who are levels above you is really, really important to have a, a, a good balance with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I want to sum up with, with circles of influence is that it's okay to have multiple accountability partners who serve different roles in your life. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, people may want to do a one size fits all. And even as like a psychologist, a mother, a wife, a coach, as a business coach, I'll say, I, I will not be your all in one because that's really not even doing what I preach. I will be a hypocrite because one of the things I preach even to potential clients, it, even as therapy clients or therapists, <laughs> coaching clients is that, you know, you need to find your purpose and what you want to work on in this upcoming season in your life and in your business. Based off those vision board goals, once you clarify what that is, then the teacher will always appear. But sometimes the wrong teacher appears because you're not clear. So like when I was clear that I wanted to learn how to only do online courses, I went and found a coach who taught me only to do online courses. But then as I grow, as I grew more and more into my mindset and scalability options, I said, oh no, I like this year, my goal for 2021 was to find a coach that can help me with um, scaling my numbers in the back office, but most importantly, becoming a better leader. And I know that in elite coaching, you guys have saw that raft because we mm-hmm. talked about organizational charts. And I think that's when y'all probably wanted to throw in the towel. Um, <laughs> because, and I'm saying that to the viewers and the listeners because the image that I gave them is I showed all of my students like my organizational chart. But then I also showed them a blank one and then I showed them one of like a private practice and I walked them through it based off of their streams of income. And one of the most important parts is that most business owners don't understand that currently you probably are filling all 20 boxes on your organizational chart to make your business run. And that's probably why you're tired. That's probably why you don't have time to work on all of these other streams of income, let alone one. You know, mm-hmm. and so circles of influence can put you in your place and you should choose partners that you allow to tell you when you need to slow down. Yeah. You know, that that that's key. Um, yeah. So um, one other question I do want to ask you before we wrap up is let's just say that your ideal client is watching like someone who's interested in therapeutic services with you. Um, part one of the question is, do you do telehealth or in office or both? Cause that's important mm-hmm. for them to know. And then two, what if they're still on the fence? Like they're stigmatizing mental health a little bit. Like what can you share with them to make them know that mental health is okay? Yeah. Right now I offer, um, mostly telehealth services. I say mostly because I do plan on going back to in-person at some point, mm-hmm. but until things get a lot more stable with the pandemic stuff and we'll, that's just going to on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, for folks who are on the fence about participating in therapy, I, I offer consultations for free just to have a conversation with folks. And I, 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 I encourage people to, I say, shop around and have different conversations, have conversations, do these consultations with, with folks that they think are going to be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my approach often includes just kind of a, a conversational, um, I guess, just approach and being able to 
to have these conversations or have these discussions with people about what's going on for them. And that's really what I think therapy should look like. And that's what it should feel like. It doesn't need to be this kind of interview where um, I ask you all these questions all the time. And then you just come in and just kind of give these, you know, one word, <laughs> whatever response that you come in and cry all the time kind of thing. It really can be a conversation that can invite some joy, can invite some, um, some really healthy ways of looking at life and being able to kind of dissect that and ask, ask some, some healthy questions of oneself. You know, with somebody who's non-biased or somebody who has less bias than other people that are in, in one's life. So the, um, there is an opportunity for us to grow. You know, it's not just about me growing I mean, but, or my, the, the client growing. It's about all of us growing and being able to bring some of that healing into our families or into our relationships or into our, you know, yeah. our communities. So that, you know, this, this, um, this, this illness, all these illnesses can kind of go away. I mean, I, I joke around with clients and say, like, I want for you to fire me at some point because I want for you to... <laughs> To come in and get these skills, right? And then go out and share with somebody else. Let's let's grow this in a way that allows for us to really heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I make an effort to to share with folks that it's not just you know coming in and saying something is wrong with you. It's coming in and saying that well, let's look at what you're doing that's going really well, and look let's look and see how you want to be able to improve on the things that you're already doing and address the things that you know that have been kind of suffering or have been taking some time to address. And we can do that little by little, but it doesn't have to be all at once. It's something that can be chipped away at. And this is why, you know, the, the treatment spectrum can be, you know, short term or can be longer term. It just kind of depends on the pace that a person wants to be able to move at. So, like, I encourage um, persons who are or couples who are seeking therapy services or are on the fence about it to just have some have, go out and, and um, just interview the folks, you know, have some conversations, have some some questions for them, have those conversations so that they can you can get a better sense of what's a good fit for you. Right. That's good. That's good. So if someone beyond even therapy wanted to grab a hold of your information or um, better yet, like get a copy of the flashcards, how would they go about doing it? Yeah, if, if people want to get a hold of the, the flashcards or now we got a, a coloring book that's now coming out. Yeah, so like if you want to do all of those things. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. Um, they can go to fam you all right. That's F A M Y O U A L R I G H T dot com. Or if they want to look for the therapy services for here in California and in Arizona, they can go to C H C FAM. That's letter C, letter H, letter C, F A M dot com. And we offer both um, therapy services and now coaching services. So. Yes. Nice. And we want to, we always do a disclaimer with therapists. And so, because um, in comparison to some podcast episodes, I think you're our first clinician where you're talking about therapy and coaching. So mm-hmm. for therapy services, we want to make sure that the viewers know that you have to be residing in California or Arizona to participate and inquire about his therapy services. But you mm-hmm. do not need to be in California or Arizona to either check out the cards or even inquire about the difference um, in the coaching services, because we do want to make that clear. Um, Some people get confused. And so um, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, you know, I love enjoying our conversations. Um, (laughs) I very much so know that the viewers and listeners are going to enjoy this episode, especially those who have been able to catch it on video because they were, if you own a podcast, you definitely want to hop over to YouTube and check out the demonstration in which he shows the cards, but you can also head over to his Instagram page and check those out. And we'll make sure to link 
all of his links in the show notes below. Um, so for everyone tuning in, I greatly appreciate your presence um, for this episode and this interview, and I will see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.